exists to express a sacred story and to extend a common table that animate life by love. A primary expression of our sacred story is the weekly sermon. If our sermons inspire you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully, would you consider supporting our work? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. And let us pray. Divine light, shine in this darkness through the knowing of every person that we might sing together with one voice, Merry Christmas, amen. And please be seated. Well, it is so wonderful to see you all here and it's so great to welcome back so many of our families and hopefully over time more and more of our families can come. And uh, whoever witnessed the falling over speaker, we are all now witnesses of super mom powers. Because that was incredible. A one-handed catch while snagging the child. Well, well done. <laughs> that was phenomenal. During the four weeks of Advent, we are in a new sermon series titled An Advent of Womanist Theology. Womanist theology is a form of reflection that places the religious moral perspectives of women at the center of its method. And it intentionally engages theological problems such as class, gender, and race. Furthermore, womanist theology reimagines old religious language and symbols in order to give them depth, texture, and relevance for today. And as much as this may feel progressive, it is actually very, very ancient. The, the traditions and meanings of symbols within church history have evolved over millennia. And that's truly the task of good theology, the meaning-making of biblical stories for today. This sermon series is therefore highlighting women in the biblical account throughout the life of Jesus, primarily surrounding the days of his death, his birth. And it's elevating their individual experiences and perspectives. And it's these individual experiences and perspectives which we hope will shine Advent light into darkness that is all too often neglected in Christian imagination. So last week we looked at Elizabeth's life and this morning we'll look to Mary the mother of Jesus. In the biblical account, Matthew simply tells us that Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. That's it. The end. Regarding any details about Mary's pregnancy, we don't hear anything more about it in the book of Matthew. But thankfully, Luke offers us some more information. Luke tells us that Mary was visited by the angel Gabriel, who declared to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And Mary, the text tells us, is troubled. The angel declares to her, Do not be afraid, you'll be with child. And the child's name is to be Jesus. And Mary declares, How is this to be since I am yet a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and that which is born from within you, that which is born from within you, will be called the Son of God. 
And Mary famously replies, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Fast forward nine months. Nine months later, we bear witness to Christmas, the light of the world when Christ is born. Now, what we often do with Mary, if she's talked about at all, is we admire her famous response. It is the famous Mary response. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And if we go any further with Mary, it's usually somehow connected to her surrender, right? Mary surrendered to God's will for her life. And if we go any further than that, we may even make Mary's story into a principle. Something like, it is good to surrender to God's will. And, of course, for most good Protestants, God's will is clearly articulated in the Bible And so surrendering to God like Mary means somehow obeying the Bible. And suddenly, this strange, provocative, and revolutionary story has become a lesson on biblical obedience. But what if, what if such response actually neuters the Mary story? Or at least, what if there's more to the Mary story that speaks to her experience from which we can learn today? Enter womanist theology. Mary, we're told, is a young betrothed but yet-to-be-married virgin who says yes to a child. She says yes to divine light. She says yes to Christ inside of her own body. Now, I'd like to begin by talking about some of the implications to this story. A young betrothed but yet-to-be-married virgin who says yes to a child, even a divine child, the Christ, inside of her body? Well, such a person would not have been received as the hero that Mary eventually became. According to Jewish law, such a person, betrothed, yet to be married and with child, had some names. A couple names, probably. Fornicator would probably be one of those names. And quite possibly, adulteress as well. Those would be the names for a person like Mary and her experience. I mean, that must have crossed Joseph's mind. And we see a woman like this in John chapter 8, in that story, the teachers of the law and Pharisees bring her before Jesus, saying, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery. Now the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? It's probably for this very reason that we read in Matthew chapter 1 these words. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. You see, according to social mores and societal constructs, there was a way to deal with women who became pregnant without being married to a man. There were ways to deal with it. But in this story, located in our sacred text, we read these astonishing words. But when Joseph had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine? Joseph had lived his entire life in a world set on what to call a person like Mary. 
fornicator, adulteress, outcast, most likely, very likely, religiously unclean. And Joseph had lived his entire life in a world set on what to do with a person like Mary. Separate from, ostracize, perhaps as we read in John chapter 8, even kill. But in this story, a story in which a woman says yes to an experience that is outside of her social mores and religious constructs, well, in this story, according to the angel, Mary's yes to a child, to divine light, to Christ, Mary's yes is conceived in her by the Holy Spirit. I think this is profound, quite possibly revolutionary. I mean, just for a moment, try and imagine a contemporary situation in which a person falls outside of acceptable social mores and religious constructs. So here's some examples. Maybe it's a person who chooses not to get married, like in a faith community that believes it's God's dream for everybody to get married and to have children and to get a house with a white picket fence and, of course, a half poodle, half some other kind of animal. <laughs> or maybe it's a person who lives with a partner but is not married. Or maybe it's a married couple who chooses not to have children. Or maybe it's a person who decides to get divorced. Or maybe it's a person who chooses to marry someone that's of the same sex. Or maybe it's a person who chooses to align their body with their experience of gender. For these kinds of people, we have names for them, don't we? For their difference, outcast, unclean, ostracized, maybe even kill. It's a song that's been sung in a thousand places. But what if, what if such a person's conception for their life is actually conceived inside of them by the Holy Spirit. Whoa, Mike, hold on, slow down. No, we cannot. We cannot hold on and we cannot slow down. Why are the social mores and religious constructs superior to a person's conception for their life today? Why? And why couldn't a person's conception be conceived in them by the Holy Spirit? And this brings me to privilege. Because it's heterosexual married people, or married people with kids, or people who have never been divorced, or straight people, or cisgender people who cannot conceive of the Holy Spirit rousing anything different in this world or in another person's life than that which is their own experience. And unfortunately, the angel Gabriel isn't popping up in the lives of societally and religiously normative people to declare, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of that person, that thing, that living thing inside of them, their very selves, that has been conceived in them by the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, I'm talking about the Josephs in the world who have the privilege to decide how they will respond to a person like Mary in the world. Oh, but Mary... Well, she had no idea that Gabriel was going to go to her betrothed husband and to explain to him the situation. All Mary had was her experience and her knowing. That's all she had. That her conception of a child of light, of Christ, which was outside of the social mores and religious constructs of her day, was actually conceived in her by the Holy Spirit. You see, Joseph's, because your life fits within the social mores and religious constructs of today, it is altogether easy to other everything that is different. 
And if you grew up in the church, you've probably been taught a myth, which is that we humans are utterly depraved because of original sin. And so we can't possibly trust our knowing or the knowing of another. And so in many ways, Joseph's in our world are very fortunate because their knowing just happens to align with that which is acceptable socially and religiously today. But here's the thing. If Mary had responded to her experience like Joseph, if she'd responded to God like Joseph, that is to say, if Mary had held firm and declared, I cannot and will not have a child until I am married, then there would be no Christ. There would be no light. There would be no Christmas. But Mary and people who find themselves in situations like hers, uh, those who conceive of different kinds of life, in particular, lives that push the boundaries of socially and religiously acceptable ways of being in the world, like people who know that they know and they're knowing that they're different, that their path is not ordinary, and that they may endure a whole bunch of othering by the Josephs all around them? Well, what if? What if that knowing is not wrong or sinful or unbiblical? What if that knowing is right and righteous and wonderfully biblical like our mother Mary? And what if your experience and your knowing are actually the formation of Christ, a gift of Christmas in this world? Now that would be a light and a whole bunch of darkness, wouldn't it? To be clear, I'm not saying go if you find yourself as Mary. I'm not saying jump. Knowing your knowing takes time, and the process like Mary's is tortuous and difficult and messy. Besides, Mary had nine months to come to term with her knowing before it was birthed out into the world. And so maybe you need nine more minutes or nine more days or nine more weeks or nine more months or nine more years or nine more decades to figure yourself out. I don't know. But what I'm beginning to learn is that our knowing, I'd like to use religious language here, to lean into our convictions or to follow the leading of the Spirit such living isn't always into more of the same social and religious constructs. According to Mary's story, sometimes such living is to blow up the constructs with our very lives so that the world might come to see Christ in us. Mike, that's a slippery slope. Trusting people's knowing. Joseph's love to use that language. It's as if in their minds any expression of life that's different from their own and society will slip into utter chaos. But I don't think that's true. I don't think that's how it goes. That's grounded in the belief that left on our own will just keep getting worse. But I don't think that's the case. Even our own Bible shows trajectory. If we start in Genesis and work to Revelation, if we start, you know, uh, 1,400 years at one point and work our way 1,400 years later, which is what the Bible does, we see incredible trajectory from law to grace, from tribalism to inclusion, from violence to peace. And even our own world, albeit messed up, is slowly moving toward something better. More rights, more care, more acceptance, more love. In fact, in the midst of all that's bad, all that's bad, I want to declare again and again and again with Dr. King that the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. 
You see, I don't think the real fear is a slippery slope. I think the real fear is a world in which Joseph's way is no longer the dominant way of being in the world. But here's the thing. If Joseph's way were to win out, then there would be very little progress, ever. Normal would be normal, and that would be forever normal. But if we just look back 50, 100, 150, 200 years, you'll see that it's often been people like Mary, those who have stood outside of that which is deemed to be normal. It's people like Mary in this world who have broadened the scope of that which society and religion calls good. That's how progress happens. About 10, 12 years ago, I, Joseph, sat in our church office with two men, two men who wanted to get married. And they said, hey, obviously, this is just a dream. I mean, we can't even legally get married, but we want to get married. And their desire was different from my experience, and I was uncertain about the whole thing. And I just asked the question, tell me, tell me why you want to get married. And I don't know what Josephs often think when queer people want to get married. Maybe they close their eyes and they imagine something horrifying, like uh, getting married is somehow, you know, a turn toward utter destruction. But all I heard were all of the things that you want to hear from two people who want to get married. Love, commitment, sacrifice, goodness, growing old together. It was utterly and wonderfully beautiful. And that conversation did something to me. It did something in me. And their courageous sharing of their deep knowing and longing broke something open inside of me. Because that moment was Christ for me. It was a light for me. It was a gift for me. And truly, it was the beginning of a Christmas in which Mary very much belonged. And so Mary the different, Mary the social and religious construct breaker sings for all to hear, my soul magnifies the Lord. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. Isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Oh, and I long for more beauty. More Josephs having their minds changed. To use a biblical word for that, having more Josephs repent. As Mary's children follow in her footsteps and like Jesus break barriers until every person truly belongs as they are in their deepest knowing. How many of you, looking back a few generations, have some uh, like family secrets, things that happened and you don't really know the full story? Anybody have stories like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got stories like that in my family, for sure. Uh, One story that I have, my mom and her brother have both now passed, uh, but my mom's brother was 20 years older than her, and he had a different last name than her maiden name. And my mom never knew the story. She never knew the story until just before her mom, my Grammy, passed away. My mom asked her, and my Grammy told her. And then my mom didn't tell anybody, and and then my mom passed away. And a while after my mom passed away, I finally got brave enough, and I said to Dad, so Dad, give it to me. Like, what happened? Like, why does Uncle Dan have a different last name than than Mom's maiden name? He said, son, that secret died with your mom. (laughs) I have no idea. I actually have... I actually have Tino doing some genealogy stuff for me, and uh, we'll, find out, we'll find out what happens. Sometimes I wonder if Jesus' family was kind of like that. I mean, honestly. 
kind of awkward or maybe even silent about the whole Jesus birth thing. Like, so dad, when did you and mom get married? <laughs> when did Mary come out? Oh, and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Interesting, right? I don't know. What I do know is that it must be more than coincidence that Jesus, who intentionally moved toward those who were outside of social and religious constructs, had a mom who followed her knowing by going beyond the conventional norms of her day in order to give birth to him. I mean, that's an astonishing legacy that she passed on to her son. And the name for this, well, we call it Christmas. Pearl Church, as we continue our slow march through Advent looking for light, may we, Josephs, be open to all that is different. May we learn to trust the knowing of others and perhaps even declare on behalf of the angel Gabriel, do not be afraid. That desire in you, that notion in you, that knowing in you is conceived in you from the Holy Spirit. And may we, like Mary, enter more deeply into our knowing, trusting the leading of God who is forever breaking boundaries, especially through the lives of those who are quote-unquote different. And from this collective womb, may this church nurture future generations that, like Jesus, bring about much-needed revolution. Let us pray. Divine light, shine in this darkness through the knowing of every person that we might sing together with one voice, Merry Christmas. We hope that this sermon inspired you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully. If you don't already support our work, will you begin today? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story.